Welcome to another Principle of Hospitality podcast. I'm your host as always, Sean DeVries. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our food brings people together and promotes community and Principle of Hospitality is here to disrupt the current perceptions of what the hospitality industry can achieve in today's ever-evolving and challenging environment. So that's why we're so proud to partner with Chef's Hat, the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia on this season of Poe. Now, Arnold Boone is a community connector, brand builder, and people person. He is the founder of With Warm Welcome and Naomo. His purpose and passion is rooted in amplifying Asian-American chefs and restaurateurs via storytelling, event activations, and creative endeavors such as podcasts, pop-ups, and products. His most recent project, Naomo, empowers rising Korean-American chefs by creative collaborations that celebrate and explore Korean cuisine and culture from the contemporary perspective. So I'm privileged to have a conversation with him today. Hey, Arnold, how are you? I'm doing so well. I mean, after that song, I mean, that, the music is killer. Great <laughs> intro. We got a good sponsor. I'm so blessed. Mate, it's all, so blessed. Mate, it's all happening. Like, to talk to another fellow podcaster and um, is just fantastic. And when when... We sort of got connected a couple of weeks ago um, through April, and then and then had a conversation. Like um, it, it was just, it was just so refreshing. You know what I mean? Like to speak with someone who's doing such amazing things in a country that I love, um, in a in a section of the market that I love as well. And as I said to you before, the podcast I haven't talked about before, and and I and I'm excited to start talking about it now. So. So let's talk about, you know, how you started out in the hospitality industry, because I know this is going to be just a cracking story for our audience, but everything you're doing underneath that is going to be really exciting. So let's start out with how you started out. Yeah. I mean, how I started out is, you know, I, I can't share my story without sharing my dad's, right? Because mm-hmm. my dad is the one who really got into hospitality first. Mm-hmm. And it was actually a byproduct of something that was very unfortunate in my life, in my in my career too is my parents got divorced and when my parents split up I actually had to choose I mean I was in middle school wow. so 6th 7th grade in my early teens and my dad and my ba- my mom were like hey do you want to live with me you know and I had to choose between my parents and it was one of those situations where even then you know I became very strategic and very mm. diplomatic I think this is why I ended up in restaurants too mm. I think you need to be really good at diplomatic relations and trying to keep everyone as happy as possible, of but, um, um, I digress. So I chose to go with my dad to Korea okay. and, um, before living with my dad, the man could not even cook ramen. Like, <laughs> he, he didn't even know how to boil water. I love it. Like, could not cook. <laughs> um, my mom was a terrific home cook actually. So she cooked delicious Korean meals at home. We made our own kimchi, right? And so once she was out of the picture, I think my dad, you know, I have a younger brother too. Mm -hmm. My dad felt that we were missing out on this experience. Okay. And so he's very dramatic and very, you know, and then that's also where I get this from too. So he was running a shipping and logistics company at the time in Korea. Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm going to go to culinary school. I'm going to go to culinary school. I'm going to take night classes and I'm going to learn how to cook so I can cook for my, for my sons. Wow. And um, I know. I mean, looking back on it, I'm like, this guy is crazy. Wow. Um, and so he actually went to Le Cordon Bleu in Korea. What? And um, yeah, he got a degree. I know. <laughs> he got a degree there and learned like French techniques, you know, and, and, and he was just cooking up these crazy meals. I'm like, dude, you just went from not knowing how to cook ramen to 
creating this prefix tasting menu for us. It was, it was wow. absolutely insane. Okay. But I think through that experience, you learned the power of food, as you had mentioned early mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. in the podcast and how that is so powerful for him, you know, and especially in Asian culture, um, you know, we're, we're not very direct. We don't, we're not very expressive with words. We're more yeah. expressive with our actions. And I think I have yet to this day heard my dad tell me he loves me um, wow. in words. Yeah, I know. But he's shown it through me, through cooking. Um, and so I think he learned the importance of cooking and the power of it. And I also on the receiving end learned how powerful it is to be on the receiving end of that. Yes. Um, and so he actually loved it so much. He did a career change in his forties and, and decided to become a restaurateur and he opened restaurants in Korea. And, you know, we did French restaurants, Italian restaurants. Um, and then by the time I got involved, we were doing like a Korean dessert cafe. And so, it, you know, I spent a lot of my high school years working for him at, at the family restaurant. And so I guess that's kind of how I got into this um, to begin with. Wow. That's, yeah. that's, that's so dramatic. The fact that, um, <laughs> oh, sorry, I'm, I didn't, I didn't know that particular part of the story. Why? I'm curious why he decided to do like Le Cordon Bleu, like where he went French, where he's in Korea. Like, was that just because he saw that as like the true sort of starting point of food and, and that kind of stuff as, as a lot of people think and decided to do that because he didn't know much? Especially, especially in the East, I think we still see France and Europe as kind of the, I mean, it's kind of true. Like gastronomy, mm. you know, mm. was was really invented and started in France, especially if you think like high high end fine dining. That that is the birthplace in true. many ways. And I think true. in Asia, we just still to this day hold like European food to such a high standard. So mm-hmm. I think it, for him, it was important to learn like French techniques and just like the foundations there. Mm-hmm. And I think from that, he knew that he could take those skills and apply it elsewhere. So I think that was like the. If I had to say, I'm sure that was the decision behind it. Yeah, right. So how did it come to be that you came? Because obviously you're talking to us from America, right? So how did it come to be that you sort of came back to the US and and started doing what you're doing now? I don't yeah, I, you know, I always wanted to come back to the US even when I had left. Um, to be completely honest with you, I didn't want to go back to Korea. I had heard so many horror stories growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I grew up in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I was Korean just because that's how I look. Yes. But then once I went back to Korea, I realized that wait a minute, I'm not Korean at all. I'm so American, you know, and the way I think they're making, they're making me bow and, you know, be all formal. And yeah. And there were all these rules, social rules. And it's like, wow, this is, this is crazy. This is wild. Um, and so for me, I think even then, as much as I enjoyed being in Korea for, for, you know, those years, those yes. adolescent years, yes, I always knew I needed to come back to, to America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as I helped out at the family restaurant, um, I actually gave him a lot of ideas, right? Growing up, I thought I was very creative as well. And I would propose all these ideas like, hey, dad, what if we change the menu item to this name? What if we price it differently? What if we have like a new website? I was like, no, like, who are you? You know what? Go, go and wash some dishes. Okay. <laughs> so I, I took that in spite, actually. And so that's, that's where the story begins, where I'm like, yeah, right. you know what? I'm going to go to hotel school. I'm going to go to like a hospitality school, mm-hmm. go to one of the best programs in America. I'm going to work at the best restaurants in America. And then I'm going to tell you what you should do. And you're going to take me seriously. It was <laughs> kind of like my, 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 you know, that's when my fire was lit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I decided to come back to the States and, and study exactly what I told you, hospitality management in college. Yep. Um, and I ended up going to NYU. So New York university mm-hmm. in New York city, 
actually, um, the heart of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of how I found my way back. Yeah, right. And then, so then you've you've come back into the industry and then I want to talk about the podcast because obviously you're a podcaster as well. Like what what drove you to sort of start having conversations that you're having? Because they're, they're very different to the ones that I'm, that I'm having mostly, right? So like, how did you start the podcast? How did, how did that sort of delve from your career in the industry? Yeah. I mean, I think the the podcasting thing as, as you know, as well is such a powerful platform to Mm -hmm. just connect with people. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, this is just our conversation alone is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. And I think I saw the value in it early on as you did, I'm sure too. So Um, at the time, I was working at Atomics, mm-hmm. which is a Korean fine dining restaurant in New York City. It's a two mission star um, fine dining restaurant, which is also insane in it itself because growing up as a Korean American, I never thought that Korean food could be taken so seriously to that level. You know, two mission is a pretty serious accomplishment. Yes. Um, so while I was working there, um, before that, I had worked at a lot of places in New York. I did my rounds, you know, I did my dues. And um, to be honest with you, I was on I was on a little bit of a cruise control, and we actually had Sunday Mondays off. Which, wow. if you're in the industry, <laughs> Sunday Mondays are like reserved for you know you've made it. Like that's yes, that's you're at like, the pinnacle. That's, <laughs> like where else do you go from there? And uh, that's exactly my thought process, right? Like, mm-hmm. what do I do next? What's 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 in store for me? Yeah. And um, because of that time that I had, I want and around this time, podcasting was just everywhere right yeah. your mom had a podcast your grandma had a podcast 100 everyone had a podcast yes i'm like what is what what is this thing um mm. looked it up seemed easy enough right just record a few audios here <laughs> talk some talk some to talk to some people here yeah upload simple. it you know put, put up a nice music track Sounds easy. <laughs> uh, so i decided to venture into the world of podcasting mm-hmm. um and initially not a lot of people know this but i guess it's an exclusive that I'll share with you is cool. when I first started my podcast, which is called with warm welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't always Asian American. It was uh-huh. just hospitality mm-hmm. in general. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I found was I interviewed some incredible people, you know, mm-hmm. um, whether it's junior Porrent, who actually was one of the founders of Nobu yes. and Tribeca grill in New York city. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that I resonated definitely more with the Asian Americans that I had on the podcast early on. Sure. Um, and I did a lot of, self-reflecting and introspection, I realized, huh, I, I wonder if that's the angle that I need to do with my podcast because for some reason, when I had those Asian Americans on my podcast, I could not find any information on them online, right? So when I'm sure you do your due diligence too. Yes, when you yeah. have a guest on, you find other interviews that they've done. Mm-hmm. Zero. I'm like, how do this is, wow. you know, in comparison to what they've achieved yes. in the space, in the industry, I felt like they just weren't getting any coverage. Yeah. Some restaurants have to dig really hard because they don't really mention the founder or the owner at all whatsoever. Yes. And so I just felt like that was a missing uh, link in the market mm-hmm. and a need in the market for mm-hmm. consumers. I really want to educate people about the stories behind the restaurant. Like why is it called this name? Why is it designed this way? Why is the food designed this way? Um, just, just why, you know, just pique people's curiosities a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also felt at the time being a part of another up and coming modern contemporary Korean restaurant, there was certainly a movement happening and yep. it's still happening in America, specifically in New York city, where we're seeing a new wave of Asian American chef owners and restaurateurs 
opening these really unique concepts that are not Asian nor American. You know, yeah. it is Asian American. It is mm-hmm. this kind of bicultural identity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I felt like there was a lot of those people out there too. So hence I, I decided to start a podcast. I just felt like there wasn't a platform for it um, and there wasn't a community for us. And so that's something I've always wanted to do. Do you, do you have an understanding, Arnold, into why when you try to do due diligence, due diligence, I should be able to say that, and research into a guest that you're trying to get from a restaurant that it was that it was hard? Like why, like in, in Western culture, right, as a, as a white man, like if I'm to get a... Um, a uh, a Caucasian chef on the show, yeah, they're, they're now pushed in front of PR and media and that kind of stuff. I can find them on a website. I can find their Instagram. I can do some research and that kind of stuff. Like, why do you think is it, do you think it's a cultural thing that there is a difference in the fact that how we how we talk about our careers, how we talk about our involvement in not only just the hospitality industry, but you know, obviously, what that's what we're talking about today. Like, is there just a difference? I mean, I, I, you know, it's a complicated question. It's a good mm. question. But I think it's that, uh, all of that, but I think what's more important is, is that the gatekeepers, the gatekeepers are still predominantly white and Caucasian. Interesting. You know, like mm. in the media spaces, right? Especially yes. food media. Yes. It's predominantly white. Yes. And so mm. by nature of who decides to be written about and covered, mm-hmm. we're not going to hear a lot of non-white restaurants, you know, not, only until recently, as of this year, maybe even last year, because of the general public pressure yep. to hold people to more accountable accountability across the board. That's mm-hmm. this is that's why we're finally like hearing about these stories. But before that, honestly, we, we saw the whole thing blow up at Bon Appetit as well, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think it really comes down to the gatekeepers, and I think it's still predominantly white and not very diverse. Um, I'm very hopeful though i think we're, we're trending in a really great direction right now but mm-hmm. i think that's one of the main reasons why we haven't heard about a lot of these asian american chefs and those tours is because um none of the people writing or or in charge of these media companies are are asian you know yeah. and so that's some, yeah. something i felt like i wanted to do as well yeah what do you what do you think the way that we can you know um to get more of those stories out, do you think it's just like because uh, with with Sasha and I, who own you know who have Poe, like we've thought about and really tried to think about how we get more conversations happening with Poe because as a as a you know to to speak freely as a as a as a Caucasian, like there are certain people who are going to have conversations with me about certain things, and that's kind of where it, and that's where it stops. But if I want to broaden out sort of who we're talking to and stuff, it's it's a challenge. But we know we need to make it diverse because that's just. That's what the industry is. That's the great thing about hospitality is that you get to service every kind of, you know, person in the world. And that and that's what makes hospitality so great. Like what do you think we need to do better from a media organization? Not not particularly just us, but obviously obviously um, as a hospitality industry to get more stories out. Do you think it's just people different hosts and, and that kind of stuff to tell different stories? Yeah, well, um, you can find us at withfromwelcome.com. Yep. Uh, Instagram is at withfromwelcome. Hundred <laughs> 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 percent. Yeah. No, I mean, but you know what? I think you just making an effort to reach out to me and having this conversation is already a great first stepping point. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people just seem to be a little bit more curious. Um, I yep. think we should celebrate differences and diversity, and um, that that uniqueness. I think what you're saying about hospitality, like the beautiful thing about hospitality, is just like how universal it is. 
You yeah. know, yeah. it knows no borders because at the end of the day, it's about taking care of people. And when you take care of people, it doesn't matter who you are. Honestly, it doesn't matter if you're gay, lesbian, black, white, mm-hmm. Asian, Latino, it doesn't, doesn't matter, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I, and I think that's why I love this industry too, Sean, is that never crossed my mind, to be honest with you. It only crossed my mind when I was interviewing a lot of people in the beginning and I was like, holy mm-hmm. shit, I just resonated a lot more with the other Asian American stories because I am Asian American. Sure, um, sure. So I think the first step is just realizing that um, we, we just need to have a, when we, especially from a food media standpoint, um, I think it's, it's so much more refreshing to see diverse stories. Um, I mean, there's only so many stories you can write about, you know, and, about a specific subset of people mm-hmm. to be honest with you. So I, I think it's advantageous for everybody that that's involved, yes. you know, from a, even from a media standpoint, as a, as a food media company, yep. don't you feel like if you were bringing in a fresh perspective from a different region or race that you get more interested people in it? Of I don't course. know. It just, yeah. that boggles my mind sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's just, I think we all need to hold one another a little bit more accountable um, mm-hmm. about it. And, but I think it's as easy as, like I said, like who owns this place? Like where's the story behind this restaurant? Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people just stop at the food too, which is yeah. why we don't hear a lot about the owners. Yeah. Is, is there anything that's come through in the episodes that you've done that is consistent that you didn't think would, would sort of, you know, that would come up like as you, as you went into sort of a broad podcast and then you've, you know, you've obviously, delved into a very unique um, podcast. Was there anything between the guests that sort of was a consistent thread that you sort of didn't expect before? I mean, I, I think for me, there was a consistency amongst them though. Like it didn't matter how accomplished they were. The yeah. fact that they were like Asian American or they identified as Asian American, I felt like was something that really motivated a lot of, a lot of the people that were on my show. That was always like a chip on their shoulder or they felt like they had something to prove. Um, but I did find it interesting that, for example, I really thought they would all know one another. Like I thought they were they were all buddies already. Interesting. And so I would interview somebody. I'm like, hey man, you you you've heard of so and so? Like, nope, never met him, <laughs> never heard of him. You know? I'm like, that's crazy to me. You know? Um, there's only so many of us, but like, you don't know him or her. So yeah. I think I found yeah. a lot of pleasure and joy. Mm. and fulfillment out of being the person that could kind of connect my community because i know i know we can sit here and talk about like how you know white people can be allies to asians and stuff like that but it also starts with my community you know to be honest mm. like i think it's it's it, there's a lot of asian on asian um stuff we got to hash out too right. um, okay okay yeah because asia is a big continent and mm, of um, course yeah. i always always think that asian american like that term itself is very broken in so many aspects because there's a lot of countries in Asia, you know, um, I don't sure. even know how many, you know, we can ask Siri later, but <laughs> it's, it's a lot. And so that's something that's been interesting to me, how like you would think being a very small community that everyone would know one another, but they don't, yeah. I mean, they have all the intentions of, of meeting one another. It's just, as you, as you know, Sean, it's just super, it's, it's an industry where, you know, you're just putting out fires all the time. So you don't really have the, the, um, the time and the day to just hang out, you know, have yep. a beer and, and, exactly. and, and talk shop. So mm. especially if that isn't your sort of MO, like it's, you know, it's hard to sort of just, you know, bridge that gap and start to, you know, start to connect if, if that's not what you're about. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I understand that. 
Um, now, when we when we spoke the other week, um, and what I was excited about him before I met you was was Baker's box, right? And and not just because I'm a former Baker, but I was just so impressed with what this project was about, why you were doing it, and and how you know how it came to be. It's such an exciting, such an exciting thing. So, do you want to explain, you know, how the idea for Baker's box came about? What is it about? How's it going at the moment? You know, Sean, I, I was really surprised to hear that you were an ex-baker. <laughs> I I totally would include you in Baker's Box Australia, but you know, you know the you know the requirements already. So <laughs> <laughs> just come over, man. We'll just get it done. We'll get it done. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. I mean, I appreciate you asking about the Baker's Box project because it's 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 such a meaningful project for me and my team. Yeah. You know, it's it's like a it's a perfect extension of with warm welcome, and I think it really is emblematic of what we're trying to do. And so Baker's Box is essentially a project by With Warm Welcome. And we, it's it's been insane. We've been traveling every month since March of this year. Wow. Um, It's September now as we're Mm -hmm. talking and Mm -hmm. it's been six months already. And so we've done six cities. We have three more. And so the idea is when every city that we go to, it's always 18 people and it's always 18 Asian American bakers and pastry chefs that we talk to. Mm -hmm. And so um, we bring them on board. Mm -hmm. And essentially when people order a box, they're able to try 18 different pastries and they also get to learn about eight different bakers, which is quite awesome. And so I guess the other thing about these bakers is it's emerging and established, right? So it's not just 18 all-star well-known bakers. It's, you know, I literally had a grandma on one of the one of the one of the boxes. It was so awesome. Oh, cool! <laughs> it was this. It was the sweetest thing. You know, it's this grandma and like her daughter kind of helps out on the side with the Instagram situation. But wow! Um, so I have a lot of like people like that that just have been selling on Instagram that I'm able to find. Yeah. Um, all the way to people established like Susanna Yoon, who was a former mm-hmm. chocolatier per se. Uh, Joanne Chang at Flower Bake Bake Shop in 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 Boston. She's a huge local celebrity there, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I get really more, I honestly, this is no diss to Susanna or, or Joanne, but I, I get more, I get so much joy out of being able to highlight and spotlight these home bakers and, and the ones that don't have a shop necessarily yet. Yeah. They have a following, but just, you know, they're on their way. Yes. Right. Emerging. Yes. Um, so that's kind of the project, uh, the, like the overall theme of what we're doing with that project. And how did, how did it come about? how did that idea even get hashed out? Yeah. So, um, in March of this year, and I apologize in advance for all the females out there. I don't know if you know this, Sean. It was International <laughs> Women's History Month. Was it? <laughs> oh, March. wow. Okay. Yes. <laughs> wow. I know. Yeah, it was, it was the first time I learned about it. I yeah, I've never heard it. I didn't even know that yeah. was a thing, but I'm I know, glad it I know. is. That's good. But there's so many, to be fair, there's mm. so many international, there's so many stupid ones too, like International Pizza Day, International <laughs> Coffee Day. I know, you know? yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that really modeled the importance of this month. Mm, absolutely. Um, so I learned this year that March was Women's History Month. And so as that month was coming up um, and, you know, we were still kind of in the middle and we still are in the pandemic, right? But that was kind of the height of it too. And um, throughout throughout COVID, something interesting happened in our industry, uh, at, least, at least in the States that I can speak on, mm-hmm. is these exact bakers I told you about and pastry chefs who used to work for these amazing mission star restaurants suddenly without a job, no, no source of income. Yeah. What, do, what do they know to do? Right. What have they been doing for the, for the, for all their life? Yes. Baking. 
Yes. And so they finally took a step. You know, they created an Instagram account, and um, they're taking orders to Venmo and Zelle, and people are coming and picking up their pastries. It's it's it's, it's such a crazy transition for them. Mm. Um, and so, as I saw that picking up, that mm-hmm. movement picking up, mm-hmm. um, and then again March, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and here in America, I've you know at least New York, uh, New York City, I've worked in a lot of Mission Star restaurants, and it's it's so crazy to me because most of the pastry teams here, it's always led by a white female chef, yeah, or or, or it could be male, mm-hmm. but it's usually a white chef, mm-hmm. and then the number two, number three, number four, they're all Asian. And um, the the name that makes it to the menu is the white chef. And I always found it so unfortunate because most of the times, like these executive pastry chefs, they're not even, they're like never at the restaurant, right? Mm -hmm. Um, They come in once in a while. You know, they wear the chef whites and uh, they go around with their tasting spoons. Yeah, it's good. It's bad. You know, but most of the time, they're not really developing the recipes. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the number two, three, and four. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that they don't get any recognition was really bothersome to me, yep. to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so just like the imbalance in genders as well of being a so heavily Asian females, I felt like that was a segment that I really wanted to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And so initially Baker's box was born out of that mentality of celebrating Asian female bakers and, and pastry chefs. Mm-hmm. Um, but now obviously it's, it's grown where we're including males as well. Right. Okay. So, I guess for people who are going to research this afterwards, like it, it, it sort of looks like a, like a chocolate box more than anything, right? In the way that you guys are doing it, like it's it's eighteen, you know, small bite yep. size kind of kind of products and that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's in, it's incredible. So make sure you like after you get off listening to this podcast, like we're going to share so much uh, visuals about uh, about what Arnold's doing here. But Arnold, I do want to ask you a couple more questions about this because it's, it's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. How do you pick the cities? in order to drop the boxes in. I really wish I had a cool story for this. Like <laughs> people ask me, they ask me these questions that I, I got to think of cooler answers because there's like, it's, it's, it's pretty straightforward, but I'll, I'll tell you the honest truth. The mm-hmm. honest truth is um, new, I, we did New York in March. Right. We did LA in April. And that's mainly because I spent seven, eight years in New York and I actually just moved to LA uh, around a year ago. Okay. And so those two made sense. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually going to be the end of Baker's box. I was like, mm. I'm good. You know, New York was fun. LA, great. Yeah. Um, and as, as I was preparing for LA, um, Anna, who is someone who lives in Chicago, she's a mom of mm-hmm. two kids. Mm-hmm. By the way, moms get shit done. Okay. Absolutely. If, if you have any mom listeners, oh my gosh. Shout so out much, to moms. So much respect. <laughs> so much respect. Seriously. Mm. But so Anna reached out to me on Instagram and she said, hey, are you, are you coming to Chicago? I was like, I mean, we didn't have any plans to, but it's like, hey, I really want to help. I got furloughed. I have a lot of time on my hands. I'm a mom. Like, I want to help. Mm. Um, and I was like, sure. I mean, that sounds great. And she's a restaurant kid. She's also Asian American. So I think she resonated a lot with what we were doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we decided to go to Chicago for volume three. And then before you knew it, someone else also re- reached out to us for um, Boston, which ended up being volume four. And then at that point, I'm like, you know what? We, we just got to make this, like, we got to blow this up. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it seems like there's some momentum here. It seems like people are really resonating with these boxes. I got to do more than just these four cities. Mm. And so after that, um, I, I felt like it made sense to hit kind of the East Coast first. Yep. And then maybe the West Coast after that. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how we ended up with um, Chicago, Boston, 
Philadelphia, DC, which I just came back from. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to go to the West Coast starting in September of this month. So we're doing San Francisco, Portland in November, and then Seattle. Uh, Sorry, Portland in October, and then Seattle in November. Wow. And do, like, where do you think it's going to stop now? Like, you, are you hoping to do, you know, Texas and like, like, are you hoping to do, you know, the bottom of America as well? Like, do you, like, do you have plans to just do, you oh, know, all, fi- all 50 capital cities or other cities? You're, you're catching me at a really interesting time because I think it, it's that time where we've done six cities. It, it's a proven model. It's a proven project. And we just have three more to do. And we've got, you know, these great sponsors to shout out to Kerry Gold, Verona and King Arthur Baking and, mm-hmm. Um, I'm just thinking too, Sean, it's like, yeah, I do want to cover these cities that we haven't covered in America, but what's holding me back from going international. Right. Yeah. yeah uh, other, other, other than this uh, raging pandemic. But, um, <laughs> yeah. Just that, just that small <laughs> yeah. thing, but yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 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 yes. yeah. <laughs> so, so I think a lot of it depends on um, that situation. Sure. You know, if, if things loosen up and like, we were able to travel again, I will absolutely love to take this a little bit more global. Yeah. However, I think um, the more reasonable thing and more practical thing to look forward to next year, at least what I have planned right now so far is um, doing another nine cities starting yep. in March again next month, next year in 2022. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we would do um, just as you had mentioned the Texas city. So there's Texas is huge. You know, there yeah. in Texas alone, there's three big cities. So Houston, Dallas, and Austin, mm-hmm. uh, that's already three. And then I want to do Detroit, Miami, Atlanta, um, just cities that we haven't done yet. Um, so that's kind of the temporary tentative plan. Yeah. I definitely do want to go international, but again, it really depends on the world and uh, hopefully it doesn't come crashing down, but we'll see. <laughs> um, we're happy to have you anytime, man. Um, and I was going to ask, like, have, did is there a difference between, have you noticed a remarkable difference between the product that is being put in like the LA boxes versus the Boston boxes and, and, and that kind of thing. Like, even though we're talking about, you know, pastries and chocolates and all those kind of things, which make up what you're, what you put into these baker's boxes. Like, is there, is there a difference between the different localities? Yeah, a hundred percent. I am. Mm. It's, it's interesting because you can, you can see the trends in different cities, right? Yeah. So Chicago, for example, um, you have 18 trees in each city. I would say 50 to even 70% was either ube or matcha, <laughs> you know? And this that. project is a little bit interesting because, you know, a, another question I get a lot is, do you have any say in what they make or bake? Mm. Like, do you give them mm-hmm. any um, parameters? Like, no, not, absolutely not. The only parameters I give them is the size, the dimensions, obviously. Yep. Yep. And then it, the fact that it has to be shelf stable and like, room temperature friendly other mm-hmm. than that I, I i give them full reign because why should i limit them to what they're making um mm. but it's interesting what, what comes out of that because like you said each city definitely has an identity and chicago was super interesting they're going through an ube moment right now um <laughs> chicago I don't, I don't know what you got going on but no uh, no, yeah, no definitely ube. it's ube out here yeah uh. each, each each city definitely has its favorites mm-hmm. um and it's very different you would think it's i mean we I mean, you know, listen, there's, there's definitely repeat sometimes in terms of um, what people are making, but even that alone is a really interesting case study to see what's resonating in the U S market, even across city borders. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say they, they are very unique to mm-hmm. every city. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been really cool to see side by side uh, and see what resonates everywhere. Cause 
again, the demographics are very different. You know, some cities definitely have more Asians. Some cities have uh, more Caucasians mm-hmm. or what have you. So mm-hmm. that also kind of dictates what they're baking as well. Have you have you sort of noticed, like especially because you're doing this during a pandemic and, and you're dealing with, you know, um, and supporting a lot of uh, bakers who are, you know, smaller in the market, maybe don't have their own shop and all that kind of stuff. Have you noticed it really just helps them feel like they're doing something really purposeful and, and being part of a project, being part of a movement, being part of a community. I imagine there must be so much excitement that happens after these boxes are dropped in these cities. Yeah, I, I, I think you nailed it, you know, and I think this goes back to what I was telling you about trying to work with lesser known, smaller mm. mom and pop shops or, or even home bakers because they're the ones that feel really thankful and grateful, to be honest with you. Um, again, this, this is no resentment or anything towards anyone that's established, but for them, they have the fame. People know them, yes. their household name. And honestly, baking 100 desserts, no problem. Yeah. You know, they got like 100 employees. So someone could do it. But for the smaller ones, it's it's super personal. Mm-hmm. And I think for them, they've, like you said, I think recognized is the word. They feel recognized. They feel seen. And um, that's a basic necessity of life, of human life. You know, we all want to be recognized for the work we're doing. And so I think um, this project is is hopefully something that kind of validates them too, right? Yeah. Um, in terms of what they're doing, because it's tough, man. It's so tough to to make a living right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think everyone's trying really hard just to just to make ends meet sometimes. And so that's that's one thing. And and uh, something I always like to say is everyone loves pastries. Yes. Everyone loves sweets. Absolutely. Like it's it just brings so much joy and happiness to to everyone so i think that's another great thing about it too yeah you, you talk about you know being recognized there arnold so I, I guess you know wh- one of the questions that i really wanted to ask you and understand is like what do you think i said you know we need to be doing better to understand asian culture more and and i think that's just everyone who isn't you know of asian descent right like what do you, what do you think we need to do as a collective to understand the Asian cuisine and culture more and, 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 and that kind of stuff because we are talking today about, you know, uh, a slightly different, you know, a slightly different world and, and a different way that people interact, right? Now, especially talking about chefs in restaurants and that kind of stuff before. Like, what do you think we could be doing better? I mean, you know, the, the most practical thing for me um, and I think learning cultures is best done through food. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we best, we saw that really, really, resonate uh, with the late Anthony Bourdain, yeah. right? The man traveled the world and he was having, he was just trying food in different countries. And I think through the vehicle of food, he was able to share cultures of the world, which I think is super powerful. And so I guess when you ask me that question, like for me, the first thing that comes to mind is like, let's just try food, different food. Yep. Let, let's just step out of your comfort zone a little bit. And maybe like, instead of having that meatloaf that you've had for the past seven days, let's, let's go out and try something a little different. You know, mm-hmm. like let's be more open-minded yes. about trying new foods. I think that's the first step is yep. trying new foods mm-hmm. and being, um, you know, and, and just venturing out in that way. And I think through that naturally, you'll be so you'll be more curious. Like, for instance, why is it called a certain? Why is this dish called this way, or why is it prepared this way? And then behind that is decades of history as yep. to why it's prepared a certain way, yep. or why an ingredient is used in that dish. Right. So, for example, in Korea. You know, people know Korea as the 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 country that exports K-pop 
gay beauty, <laughs> like yes. entertainment. It's so sexy, right? <laughs> it was not like that. Okay. It was a poor, sad country um, yeah. Yeah. with famine and like people were dying of starvation. It was, it was, it was crazy. It's a, it's been a crazy turnaround, but yeah. Yeah. you know, like for us, when we look at Korean food, just cause that's the food I know. When you look at some of the food, it's really like comforting and you mm. look at it, you're like, wow like it's it doesn't it doesn't it's not on the level of the entertainment like the movie parasite or anything like k-pop it's so highly produced yes right there's a lot of money behind it but the food we eat is so humble and i think that is so telling yeah of just just our culture you know kimchi is a great example like yes basically we eat kimchi because Dude, we did, we couldn't afford refrigeration. You know, you think we had to eat fermented things because we wanted to? Yes. No, we didn't have a choice. You know, and I think through that we you can learn so much just about us and us as in the Korean Americans, I guess, or Koreans. Um, I think again, just trying different foods, trying different cuisines, I think is the first step, mm-hmm. and it's fun, right? It's like the best way to to 100%. learn different cultures. Yeah, I think I think I made kimchi for the first time about five or six years ago. Um, when I was working working for a brand that actually needed it as part of their range and that and that kind of stuff, so it was the first time I made it. Oh, awesome! And um, and it in a weird kind of way, just hang with me here. It kind of took me back to baking. You know what I mean? Because because kimchi is something that is not you you make and then you you know you serve straight away, right? It takes time. It takes yep. days. Yeah. It takes preparation. You need to be patient. Mm-hmm. And that and that's exactly the same as what baking is. Like it just taught me. Thank God I started baking so early because it taught me about patience. You know what I mean? So I think um. Uh, that's why I like a lot of Asian cuisine is the fact that it is, it is about patience and it is about mm. getting something, getting something out of it in the end that is mm. so much more than the food. You know what I mean? Mm. So I think that's mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. Um, my last question to you, Arnold, is is what are you looking forward to in the future, man? You've got so much cool shit that's going on. It's um, it's exciting just to watch, you know, your journey, what you're doing, the purpose of why you're doing it for. But what are you looking forward to in the future now? It, it's really hard to say because I've always been a planner my whole entire life. Mm-hmm. I'm a very type A personality. And I think like something I actually want to share with people too that are listening is like, yeah, it's important to have some things to look forward to. But I think COVID taught me a really important life lesson, which is sometimes you don't need to. Like sometimes you don't need to know what's yeah. next and what you need to look forward to. You know, I, I'm actually really, really enjoying the moment right now. And I've always been such a chaser, man. Like, what's next? What should I do with it? I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm really learning how to just ravel in what's happening in front of me. And um, I'm, I'm just so overjoyous about everything. And I'm very grateful about how things are panning out for me right now and for my community and for With Warm Welcome. Um, so I guess what I look forward to doing is just making this a sustainable thing yep. so that I can continue the work that I am doing in terms of like what it will look like and how it, how, you know, the, the path I want to take, I, I'm going to try to take it as it comes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Baker's box, I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing and going to new cities. I'm hoping to um, screen light a few more other projects as well that can uh, continuously help and uplift my Asian American community too. So that's always going to be the foundation for me in whatever I'm doing. It's always going to come back to the identity of being Asian American. So I don't know, man. I just, I just really look forward to doing what I'm doing right now. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure. It's a blessing and being able to meet people like yourself. And just, I guess that's what I look forward to is, is continue sharing my story, but honestly getting to know people like you and, and uh, helping to bridge 
cultures and you know helping people better understand the community too is something i'm looking forward to that's awesome well i'm grateful for that everyone's grateful for that so i appreciate it arnold um yeah of course man what's what's the best way that people can find out more about you and connect with you man like i know we've got a lot of american listeners and and a lot of our australian listeners are really going to want to understand more about what the hell you're doing because it's such awesomeness so what's the best way that people can find out about you yeah i mean um the best way would be instagram i am the most active on instagram i still haven't figured out tiktok man i don't know, I don't know <laughs> no one has you, man but... no one has no one yeah. oh my gosh age. i wish you could find me on tiktok um i mean i have an account i don't really use it so the yeah. best way to find me is instagram um mm-hmm. my personal is arnold Bion, and then um with one welcome is just with one welcome uh with one welcome.com i try to keep it easy and, and pretty straightforward so th- those those would be the best places you can find me um we're, we're really active on Instagram too. So we're really good at the direct messaging. We're good at the email. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty communicative and on top of it, inbox zero, man, always. So <laughs> me too. <laughs> feel free to shoot me an email. Cool, man. As always linked up in the show notes of this podcast, Arnold Beyond, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. <laughs> thanks again for tuning into another episode of Principle of Hospitality. I hope you really enjoyed this one. As always, please comment, like, and share this podcast with your friends in the industry. We're making this content with the industry in mind, so we'd really appreciate you sharing it along. Thanks as well to our supporter for the largest family-owned and operated hospitality supplier in Australia, Chef's Hat, where the industry shops. And if you don't know us at Pose, Sash, my co-founder from Principal Design, has one of the best design agencies in Australia. So if you're looking for anything around strategy, branding, digital design, wayfinding, and graphic design, and find them at principledesign.com.au. And myself at Open Pantry Consulting for anything to do with systems and processes to make your business run even more smoothly. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks to Chef's Hat for supporting us. And until next time, stay safe.